Thank you. We are here this morning to begin to learn about the attributes of God, to begin to learn more about the attributes of God. And I've had a little bit of experience addressing crowds of people and believers and unbelievers as well, but um, you know, I'd never cease to be amazed, I guess, as I think about the work of God in the hearts of men and how His how His Word can can just do great and mighty things in the hearts of every one of us because, as the Bible says, of course, and we know this, that He is the great and mighty God. And so it's good to be here this morning. It's good for us to just consider this tremendous theme of the attributes of God. We, we want all of us to be blessed as we consider this. And certainly I believe that, that I will be probably blessed uh, as much as anybody or more than anybody. And so we'd like to, uh, before we begin, I think we'll just, we'll just uh, offer a little bit of an act of redemption. You know, there was a young brother last evening that, that uh, when he was asked to quote scripture, he said he hadn't memorized it yet. And so I talked to him afterwards and I said, you have, a, you have a way to redeem yourself this morning and you'll just have a prayer for us. And, and he graciously agreed to do that. But then he told me this morning, he said, you know what? He said, I've memorized that scripture now. So, so that's pretty impressive. But we're just going to stand again and ask Brother Brandon to Brandon Bear to lead us in prayer. Dear wonderful Father in heaven, come before you once again for Thanksgiving. Thank you for this whole week. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the senior, the beautiful senior. Help us to, to realize that it's all for you. That the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. Help us to give thanks to every remembrance of your holiness. Help us to, to realize where we are, that, that we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for your son coming and dying on the cross. Help us to, to realize how lovely and unworthy we really are. Please be with us today and fill us all with the Spirit and guide us and teach us and help us to be open to the message here and be a fellow courtesy give us a message. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Confession is good for the soul, it said. And so I'll just confess to you this morning that I have done Okay. Okay. Get this figured out here. I will confess that I've done as much trembling this morning, I think, as I have done for a long, long time. As I think about this message and its potential and the way it speaks to the hearts of men, and especially as it speaks to my heart. The attribute of God that we're going to consider this morning is the attribute of His holiness. And really the message is very simple. The message is just this simple. God is holy. God is holy. And I'm trusting today that every one of us will somehow catch a greater glimpse of the truth of this message and the impact that it has and can have and will have on the hearts of God's children. God is holy. I have a couple of scriptures in mind that I'd like to read as I begin to think about this, this topic of God being holy. And I'll, I wavered a little bit, especially on one of them, because it just seems like that even though we had this particular scripture in mind, that... Nearly everywhere we've turned the last several days, somebody has been referencing this same scripture. And you might think, well, that's just uh, maybe a message from God that we should move on to something else. But, 
But I look at it this morning as being a message of confirmation from God that really we should consider this scripture again. I noticed last evening that Brother Pete, as he was uh, leading us in devotions last night, went to this scripture, and I'm going to go there again this morning. It's the sixth chapter of Isaiah, and just read a few verses in Isaiah chapter 6 as we consider this topic, God is Holy. Isaiah chapter 6, we'll only read about eight verses here. Then we're going to turn to a New Testament scripture and read from there as well. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And the New Testament scripture I'd like to share is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense and the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part did he believe with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And one more verse, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now we recognize, of course, this morning that those two passages of Scripture speak to us about various things. But one of the primary things that we see in both of those passages is the holiness of God and His standard of holiness for we, His children. As we think about the fact that God is holy, I'm going to break this message down into about three main parts. First of all, I would like to think about the appearance of holiness. The appearance of holiness. And secondly, and perhaps primary, is the attribute of holiness. And thirdly, the appeal to holiness. So we're going to break the message down into those three parts. The appearance of holiness, the attribute of holiness, and the appeal to holiness. God has given every one of us certain faculties that assist us as we attempt to grasp the truths that He desires to teach us. Whether they're spiritual truths, whether they're they're truths that appear to us in nature, whether there are truths that appear to us in some other way. 
God has given us certain benefits that will enable us to better discern His truth. We refer to these sometimes as the five senses. And you understand what they are? Their sight, their smell, their taste, their touch, and their hearing. Those are the five senses. As we think about the appearance of holiness, even though I know it limits us, we're going to use a little bit for a little while this morning. We're going to use the five senses that God has given to us to attempt to discern a little more about the appearance of holiness as we think about God being holy. And so I have two questions really. The first one is this. What does holiness look like? What does holiness look like? And as we, as we consider that question, and as we think about the context in which Isaiah chapter 6 presents to us the fact that God is holy, there are about four different perspectives that I'd like for us to think about. We're going to go through them one by one as we think about the appearance of holiness and try to answer the question, what does holiness look like? The first of those perspectives is this. We want to think about His majesty. His majesty. Notice how Isaiah says it. Isaiah says, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, and His train filled the temple. Now I skipped over a portion of that verse. We'll come back to that in a little while. But Isaiah speaks about His majesty as he references the appearance of His holiness, and he says that he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, and His train filled the temple. His majesty sitting upon a throne. And the throne that Isaiah saw, Isaiah was tremendously impressed by. Isaiah would have had, of course, acquaintance with the, with the written word, Isaiah would have known the, the uh, history of the old prophets. He would have known the kings that reigned. He would have had access to a description that we find in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 18 through 20, of a throne, this being the throne of Solomon. I'm not going to quote that passage of Scripture verbatim this morning, but I want to just paraphrase it like this. The Bible says that King Solomon, in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 18 through 20, as it speaks about all the things that Solomon did, all the splendor and the grandeur of his reign, and you'll recall how great it was, how even the Queen of Sheba, as she came and marveled, the Bible says she went away and she said, the half was not even told me of the splendor and the glory of the reign of Solomon. But the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 10 that Solomon made also a great throne of ivory and he overlaid it with gold. And the Bible tells us there in that passage a little bit about this throne. The Bible says there that there were six steps ascending up to the throne. And the Bible says there were stays on each of those steps. And the Bible says there were two lions standing by each of those stays. And so you just think about, you just think about the grandeur of the throne of Solomon. The Bible describes it as having an arch behind it. And it must have been a very splendid scene as people view the throne of Solomon. Very, very splendid as they view the throne of Solomon. But I want us to think about the throne of God. His majesty, because this verse speaks to us about His majesty and His throne. And I want us to note that as other men of God viewed God from time to time, as they considered Him and He in His throne room, as they considered His throne, the Bible says, that they, and they give us various descriptions, but the Bible tells us about the throne of God. I'm going to go to Ezekiel. Description, not going to turn to the passage, but it's found in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1. Also, you'll find a description in Ezekiel chapter 1, I believe, perhaps in about verse 26, about the throne of God, as Ezekiel saw it. 
Now Ezekiel describes the throne of God like this. He says it was like a sapphire stone. Like a sapphire stone. And as we think about the descriptions of the throne of God, we consider His majesty as it gives us a view into His holiness. Let's think about the colors that are presented to us here in these descriptions. Ezekiel says that the throne of God is like a sapphire stone. Now, sapphire is a blue. It's a brilliant shade of blue. And so when Ezekiel describes the throne of God, he says it's a brilliant hue of blue, like a sapphire stone. Ezekiel says more than that. As he speaks about the throne of God, he speaks about the brightness of its glory. The brightness of its glory. When Ezekiel saw the throne of God, he saw the splendid color there. And yet even in in the splendid color, he could just see the very brightness of the glory of God. He caught a glimpse of God's majesty. And through his glimpse of God's majesty, he began to understand to greater depths the fact that God is holy, just like the title of this message indicates this morning. When Daniel... When Daniel was given the privilege to see the throne of God, the Bible says that Daniel says in Daniel 7 verse 9, I believe, that it was a a scene that just struck awe in his heart. And, And Daniel describes it this way. He says the throne of God was like a fiery flame. Like a fiery flame. And there was a sea of fire that proceeded out of the throne. When Daniel saw the throne of God, he saw the fiery flame and that stream of fire flowing from the throne of God. One more description about the throne of God. This time I'm going to the revelator, John, exiled on the Isle of Patmos. And I'm thinking about his description in chapters 4 and chapters 5 of the Revelation. And John, as he pens those lines does not so much speak to us about the throne itself, the throne proper, but he speaks to us about the things surrounding the throne. The things surrounding the throne of God. And he says, among other things, he says that he that sat thereon was like a jasper and a sardine stone. He was in sight like unto an emerald. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. Now, jasper and a sardine stone, they speak to us about colors, brilliant colors of red and green. And so you take the emerald blue of Ezekiel, you add to that the red and the green in the Revelation. You think about the fact that the Bible says in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 that there was a rainbow round about the throne. The seven colors of the rainbow present there as John viewed the throne. And you think about that Ezekiel says the brightness of his glory was just overwhelming. And that Daniel says that there was a flame of fire there. And there was a stream, a burning stream, proceeding out of the throne. You just think about the majesty of God. You think about the colors present there that indicate to us the majesty of God. And as we just consider the majesty of God this morning, can can we not say that it assists us of just a little degree, at least, in catching a glimpse of the truth that God is holy. God is holy. Well, there's something else that Isaiah mentions in chapter 6, verse 1, as he thinks about His majesty. Not only does He speak to us about His throne, but He speaks to us about His train. And He says, His train filled the temple. His train. When the Bible uses that terminology about His train, it's referring back to a bridal gown. And the train that follows the bride, the extra material, the train that follows the bride. But I believe it's speaking to us about something else. It's speaking to us in symbolic terms. And the Bible tells us elsewhere about, about the people and the, and the occupants that surround the throne. And so as you think about the train, and sometimes we sing about, and I can't quote the hymn exactly, but we speak about, uh, we sing about, and all His saints, a glorious train, or something like that. 
And so as we think about the train that filled the temple, I want us to think this morning about the fact that it's speaking to us about people or living beings there surrounding the throne of God. As Isaiah viewed His Majesty in verse 1 of chapter 6, he caught a glimpse not only of His throne, but he caught a glimpse of His train. There's something else that Isaiah speaks to us about. Another perspective. Perspective number two is this. That is His loftiness. His majesty and His loftiness. I'm going to make a distinction between them this morning. As I thought about His majesty, I thought about the brilliancy of the colors. And I thought about the glory, the brightness surrounding the throne. But Isaiah says, and that little phrase that we left out earlier, almost like a parenthetical expression, says simply like this, it says, high and lifted up. High and lifted up. When Isaiah viewed God, when he saw Him, he he recognized His loftiness. His loftiness, high and lifted up. As I think about His loftiness, I think about something that A.W. Tozer refers to as his transcendency. His transcendency. Now, when we say that God transcends, we we mean that God is certainly high and lifted up. But when we think about transcendency this morning, we must understand that transcendency tells us that there is no comparison between God and anything else. No comparison. He is high and lifted up. The transcendency of God. And yet we also read in Isaiah, where Isaiah says in chapter 55, that your ways are not my ways, saith the Lord, neither are your thoughts my thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As we think about the transcendency of God, let's recognize the fact that the God that we serve, this God who is holy, is a God who is high and lifted up and will never, ever understand the exaltation of His being, the exaltation of His throne, the exaltation of His throne room as we view Him. High and lifted up, transcendency of God, One other feature that I'd like to think about as I think about His loftiness is the preeminence of God. The preeminence of God. That means that He is primary in everything. He is first and foremost, always, all the time, the preeminence of God. The Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 verse 17 makes reference to preeminence. When he says concerning Jesus Christ, God the Son, he says in verse 17, Colossians chapter 1, He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. He is before all things, and and by Him all things consist. That is speaking about the preeminence of God. His majesty, His loftiness, perspective number 3, Isaiah gives to us is his attendance. His attendance. Notice in verse 2, Isaiah chapter 6, Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. The seraphims that were above the throne of God, and they had six wings, with two of them they covered their faces. They, they refused to allow their faces to show. They covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. They just were clothed with humility and modesty. And with two, they were able to fly. So, Isaiah speaks about his attendance. We refer to Ezekiel and his view of the throne. When Ezekiel viewed the throne, he didn't speak about seraphims, but he spoke about cherubims. And he spoke about living creatures. When John viewed the throne, he spoke about 24 elders. He spoke about four living creatures. He spoke about thousands, thousands of saints, thousands, thousands of angels ministering to him. Those are the kind of things that John saw. 
And yet, let's not forget, let's not forget the most vivid image that John saw as he viewed the throne. Because John describes it this way, he says, in the midst of the throne, I saw the Lamb. I saw the Lamb as he viewed the throne of God. As he considered God's throne, he said, I saw the Lamb. It was the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that he saw. The very Lamb of God who came and died at Calvary to take away our sins. As Isaiah 53 says, As a lamb he was led to the slaughter. As a sheep before shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And John saw that very Lamb. As he viewed the throne of God, I saw the Lamb. I saw the Lamb. Those are the attendants around the throne of God. One more, fourth perspective, is his praise. Verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 6. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. His praise. You see how the senses assisted Isaiah when he began to view and see when the appearance, the appearance was made real to him. Isaiah began to proclaim about God's holiness. The fourth perspective is his praise. His praise. Notice in Isaiah that the cries proclaiming the holiness of God were loud cries. They weren't in hushed tones. They were cries that were audible, clearly audible. Holy, 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 Isaiah says, was the praise that proceeded from the throne of God. The cries were loud. Loud enough that the doorposts even began to tremor and shake. That's what verse 4 says. The post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, we enjoyed our singing last evening. We're going to enjoy the singing yet throughout the week. But I don't, I don't know if the doorposts are going to shake or not. But we want the praise of God to sound loud. We want it to resound, resound from our hearts. We want it to echo and re-echo through the building, through the grounds. The praise of God... Shout aloud will make the very posts of the door tremor and shake. Holy, holy, holy was where Isaiah came to. He recognized as he considered the appearance of holiness. He recognized how it just worked in his heart and caused him to proclaim holy, holy, holy. Well, that's one question that I wanted to ask. What does holiness look like? And we spent a great deal of time on that question. The second question we're going to just consider briefly. And that question is this. How does holiness move me? How does holiness move me? How does holiness move you? I want you to think about Isaiah. And let me just tell you that there's at least three things. Three results. When Isaiah caught a glimpse of the appearance of holiness, there were three results that occurred in the life of Isaiah. And really it's very simple. It's just three simple words. It's woe, lo, and go. Woe is me, he said. Woe is me. When he saw the majesty of God. When he saw the appearance of holiness. Lo, this hath touched my lips. When the angel took that coal of fire with a tongue from off the altar and placed it on the lips of Isaiah. Lo, this hath touched my lips. And finally... God said, go, go and tell this people, go and tell this people. Now that's how holiness, that's how the appearance of holiness ought to impact the child of God. The appearance of holiness. The second point that we'd like to consider this morning 
is the primary point that we, we find here in this message. And that being the attribute of holiness. The attribute of holiness. Again, I'm indebted to the writings of Tozer. When he spoke like this, he said an attribute is not a characteristic. And I recognize that too many times when I've considered God in the past, I've thought about God, and yes, I've tried to get, just catch a glimpse of His, of His holiness. I've just tried to catch a glimpse into the character of God, perhaps. But, but I believe, as we consider the attribute of holiness, that we must move beyond characteristics. Characteristics are separate and distinguished from each other. As we think about the attributes of God, we must understand that we cannot make distinction between the attributes of God. Because He's infinite. He's perfect. He cannot be segregated or separated. Not even by characteristics. And so the attribute of His holiness speaks to us certainly about a lot of different things regarding God. And we're just going to make it very simple this morning as we think about the attribute of His holiness. God is holy. God is holy. That's the title of this message. And that's just about as simple as it can be stated. God is holy. Now let's just spend a little bit of time right here and just think about that three-word expression. And let's just think about the emphasis that can be placed. As we think about God is holy, let's just think about God. God. God is holy. God. God. The attribute of holiness. We sing a verse sometimes. John Needham penned these lines. And they go like this. With sacred awe pronounce His name. Well, I thought I was going to quote the verse, but maybe I can't. Whom words nor thoughts can reach. Uh, our contrite heart shall please Him more than noblest powers of speech. You see how God confounds us? You see how God brings us to our knees? We can't even quote a verse that we sung many, many times. But a contrite heart, that verse says, will please Him more than noblest powers of speech. With sacred awe, pronounce His name, whom words nor thoughts can reach. It's God. It's God. It's God. Who is holy? God. The attribute of His holiness. God is holy. God is holy. I look at that little word is. And I believe this morning that speaks to us about the eternity of God. The eternity of God. You see this holy God that we serve is a God who has ever been and ever will be. He is eternal. Eternal. The eternity of God. God is holy. The writer of the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, writes like this, and he says, He that cometh to God must believe that He is. Thank you. That He is. That is the eternity of God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is. When Moses came into His presence and God spoke to him in the wilderness and the bush was burned and not consumed, the Bible says that God spoke to the, out of the burning bush to Moses and He says, I am that I am. That speaks to us the same truth. He is the eternity of God. He that cometh to God must believe that He is. Must believe that He is. And of course the remainder of that verse is, And He is the rewarder 
of those who diligently seek Him. But that's another message for another time. He is. He is. When I think about Isaiah and his view of the holiness of God, the attribute of His holiness, I want to think about, I want to think about the tenses that we use because we are finite beings. The tenses that we use because we are bound and shackled by time. We're not like God. We're not eternal. He is eternal. And we're finite. We're temporal. He's infinite. And we're not. We're finite. Think about God's holiness. The attribute of His holiness being evidenced in the past. And it could perhaps best be described as we think back to the creation. When the Bible speaks about how God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says in His acts of creation, the six days of creation, over and over and over again, the Bible says that God viewed His creation and He saw it was good. It was good. It was good. Finally, God said it was very good. Now things can only be good. And things can only be very good because God's there. And because God is holy in being there. So we think about the past. And we recognize that this holy God was at work in the past. In His creation. Let's think about the future. Let's think about this holy God. Let's think about the attribute of His holiness. Let's think about this holy God. Present in the future. The Bible says as we think about the future. There are certain things that we'll never understand with finite minds. But God helps us to understand them to a degree at least. Not so much by describing what is present as by describing what's absent. And so I jump to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. And the Bible says as we think about the future and God's holiness... In the future, the Bible says there are certain things that are absent there in the future. One of those things is there's no night there. There's no tears there. There's no death there. There's no curse there. No curse. No curse. God is holy. The curse is here because of unholiness. God is holy. There will be no curse there. The attribute of His holiness. No curse. Well, if if holiness is evidenced in the past by His creation, and holiness is evidenced in the future by His consummation, then how is holiness, holiness evidenced in the present? How is holiness evidenced in the present? I believe really it's quite simple. Holiness is evidenced in the present by His call. By the call of God. God is holy. The attribute of His holiness is manifest to us by His working with us. By His call. By His call to the lost to accept Him. His only proper terms of mercy and salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. By His call to us, even those of us who are born again Christians, His call to us to just come nearer and nearer and nearer to enter into His presence and to just enjoy the bliss of God being with us. His holiness is evidence to us perhaps best in the present. By His call. You felt His call. You're going to feel His call throughout today. You're going to feel His call throughout this week. You're going to feel His call as He continues to work with you throughout the remainder of your Christian walk, your life here on earth. God is calling. He's calling, inviting, wooing, drawing us ever and ever closer to Him. God's eternity. Past, future, present. Now why, why in the book of Isaiah does it say 
holy, holy, holy. Why is that word used three times? And there might be a variety of explanations for that, but I want you to think about it in light of God's eternity. I want you to think about how that holy, holy, holy expression could be speaking to you about God, God's eternity. Past, present, future. In Revelation chapter 4, the same expression is used, Holy, holy, holy art thou Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Past, present, future. Holy, holy, holy speaks to us about God's eternity, the attribute of His holiness, the eternity of God. The scriptural presentation of the attribute of holiness is largely without amplification or definition. You see, I really haven't given you a definition about God's holiness. And that's really how the Scripture presents it to us. There really is no great degree of amplification, no definition, as the Bible speaks about God's holiness. It just says, God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. It's a very simple expression. Very simple. Largely without amplification or definition. I'm going to give you about three different scriptures that just simply uh, illustrate this. One is in Psalms 99 verse 9. Psalm 99.9 says like this, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for He is holy. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at His holy hill, for He is holy. A second scripture, Revelation 15, verse 4. The Bible says in Revelation 15, 4, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name, for thou art holy? Who shall not fear him and glorify his name, for he is holy? No amplification, no definition given there. Just simply, for He is holy. 1 Peter 1.16 This is really a message that strikes at the very heart of humanity. But it's also a message about God. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. You see, there's no amplification there. No definition there. The Bible just assumes that we are to understand that when we think about God and His holiness, we just accept it as fact that God is holy. God is holy. In all three of those passages, all three of those verses, Psalm 99 verse 9, Revelation 15 4, 1 Peter 1 16, there's a rather puzzling expression. For I am holy. For I am holy. First Peter 1.16 says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now the Word of God might have taught us, Be ye holy as I am holy. But it doesn't say that. It says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. For I am holy. You see, because we're finite, because we're temporal, we can never be holy as God is holy. He is holy. The attribute of holiness is, is, a, is an attribute that transcends human understanding. The attribute of His holiness. For, not as. When I quoted Revelation 15.4, I didn't quote it exactly right. I'm going to try to quote it correctly now because I left out a portion of that verse intentionally that I wanted to get to just now. 
Revelation 15.4 Who shall not fear Thee, O Lord, and glorify Thy name, for Thou alone art holy. You see, God is holy. The Bible speaks about the attribute of His holiness. And the Bible tells us that He alone is holy. He alone is holy. Before we move away from the attribute of holiness, I'm going to give you a definition that is recognizably so very limited. But just to help us come to grips with the concept of attribute of the holiness of God, this definition is offered. And when I speak about, when I think about God is holy and the attribute of His holiness, I'm thinking this morning about absolute moral perfection. Absolute moral perfection. And yet I offer that definition to you rather apologetically because I recognize that yes, it's certainly limited and the God that we serve is an infinite and an unlimited God in every way. Well, the third point that we wanted to get to this morning in this message is the appeal to holiness. The appeal to holiness. We've thought about the appearance of holiness. We've thought about the attribute of holiness. Now let's think about the appeal to holiness. Now I'm going to go to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. As we think about the appeal to holiness. It's a wonderful thing to think about God and His holiness. It's a wonderful thing to think about, to try to imagine what the holiness holiness of God might appear like. But really, where this message really finds impact in the hearts of men is how it changes our lives, how it changes every one of us. And so let's listen to the appeal to holiness as it's given to us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The appeal to holiness. Notice that the Apostle says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense and the same, I speaketh unto my children, be ye also enlarged. The appeal to holiness. Paul recognized that these Corinthians were beshackled by humanity. And he describes them this way. He says, you are just bound up. You're straightened. You are straightened. And he said, you haven't been straightened by me. I didn't, I wasn't the cause of your being straightened. But he said, you are straightened by your own bowels. Straightened by your own bowels. Paul calls them out of that. He says, and he speaks to us as well. Don't be straightened. Don't be straightened in your own bowels. Rather, he says, we are to be enlarged. As we consider, as we think about God is holy. As we think about the appeal to holiness. Let's think about the fact that the message of Scripture is that we need to be enlarged. And we're going to be enlarged. You're going to be enlarged when you're asked to memorize Scripture. You're going to be enlarged as you pray together. You're going to be enlarged by Spirit-filled, inspired messages. You're going to be enlarged this week. And God is not going to be finished enlarging you when this week is over. God wants to continually enlarge us. He never gets done. He's never finished with His ministry of enlargement. He wants to be enlarging us every day along the way. Every moment of every day along the way. God desires to enlarge us. (coughs) Excuse me. 
So Paul asked a question. <clears throat> really, he's asking a question. Do you want to be straightened or do you want to be enlarged? And really, it's your choice, my choice. Do I want to be straightened or do I want to be enlarged? As I view this holy God, as I view, as I view the attribute of His holiness, that question must sink down deep into my heart. And I must give answer. I must give a response. <coughs> do I want to be straightened? Or do I want to be enlarged? My choice. <coughs> well, the way to be enlarged... <coughs> way to be enlarged... Is to have your mouths open. Way to be enlarged... Is to have your hearts open. Paul speaks in terms like that here in this passage. Have your mouths open. Allow God to feed us. Have your hearts open. Allow the Word of God to sink down deep into our hearts. To lodge there. To find a resting place there. And to impact us in days, weeks, months, years to come. <clears throat> Straightened or enlarged. Our choice. We must have our mouths and our hearts open. <clears throat> now Paul uses another expression there that's somewhat puzzling. <coughs> Verse 13. <clears throat> he uses the word recompense. Recompense. <clears throat> what does Paul mean when he uses the word recompense? I believe this morning he's just simply telling us that I'm going to use plain speech with you. When he says recompense, he just means I'm going to talk plainly to you. I'm going to speak in terms you can understand. I'm not going to shroud my speaking to you in smooth and buttery words. I'm going to speak plainly. I'm going to use plainness of speech. Now for a recompense of the same, he says. Plain speaking. The appeal to holiness. <clears throat> Humbly, this morning, I want to resort to the method used by the Apostle Paul. Use plain speaking. Speak plainly. Because I believe that men of God, men who have the hope of the resurrection will be men who use great plainness of speech. <clears throat> the Bible speaks about that in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verse 12. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. You see, men and women of God who have this great hope will be willing to use great plainness of speech. A recompense of the same great plainness of speech. <coughs> One of the things that we must understand <coughs> as we think about the appeal to holiness is that it's possible for men and women who claim to be the blood-bought sons and daughters of God to be deceived. And the Bible speaks about that in various places, but I'm going to jump to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and the Bible says there, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And it goes on and says, Awake to righteousness. And when the Bible says, Awake to righteousness, I'm not going to be real technical here. When the Bible says, Awake to righteousness, I believe the message is, To awake to holiness. To awake to holiness. <coughs> now there might be a little difference between righteousness and holiness and their emphasis in a technical sense. But I'm not going to get technical this morning because I desire to use plainness of speech. 
Okay? Plainness of speech. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness. Awake to righteousness. Paul gives us great plainness of speech. In this passage, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, as he gives us the appeal to holiness. He tells us that separation, that separation is an integral part of God's appeal to holiness. Separation. Verse 17 says, Come out. Come out. If we're going to understand that God is holy, if we're going to hear the appeal to holiness, we must respond to the word of Scripture when it says, Come out. Come out. Come out. Because it's only as we come out that we enter in to the presence of the God who is holy. Come out so that you might come in. Paul uses words like fellowship. He uses words like communion. He uses words like partnership. He says part, but he means partners. Part. He uses words like agreement. Covenants, perhaps. And he says, when you do these things, you think about things that are holy and things that are profane or unholy. And remember that holy men will not enter in to illicit relationships. Holy women will not be engaged in illicit relationships. He's telling us that really... We are to experience fellowship, communion, partnership, agreement with Him. Because He says that we are the temple of the living God. We are His temple. He speaks about light and darkness. He speaks about righteousness and unrighteousness. And you mix darkness with light. And do you still have light? Well, not in the sense that you once did. You mix unrighteousness with righteousness. And do you still have righteousness? Verily not. When you mix unrighteousness with righteousness, you no longer have righteousness. And so He's calling us. He's calling us to separation. It's been said like this, and I know it's rather humorous, but it's an old, old adage. And it's like this. And it speaks to men and women of God who desire to be holy. The adage is, if you want to soar with eagles, you must stop roosting with turkeys. You'll never soar with the eagles if your focus is on the low-lying branches where the turkeys roost at night. The call of Scripture is that we might soar like eagles. Isaiah chapter 40 says, They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's the promise of God to His faithful children. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What are the challenges that we face? What are the challenges as we consider the appeal to holiness? There are a multitude of them. We wouldn't begin to be able to describe all of them. But there are things like music. There are things like evil habits, and maybe habits that aren't even evil, but habits of of some kind or another. Things like reading material that that doesn't promote our thoughts and our minds to the very presence of this God who is holy. A multitude of things that will hinder us from responding to the appeal to holiness. Whatever they are. Moral purity. That's another one. That's a huge one. It will be addressed a little bit later this week. Many, many things are hindrances to holiness. Whatever you're challenged with in your life. And I know that we're all different. And yet we're all also so much alike. Whatever it is. 
perhaps it's entertainment, the world of sports, this idol that men have erected, whatever it is, hear the appeal of God, the appeal to holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God's desire for us, as it's described here in this passage, is that He would dwell in us to the extent that He would also walk in us. When we move around upon this earth, that men and women might see that this God who is holy is really walking in clay pots just like you and me. God is holy. The appeal to holiness. His desire for us is to dwell in and walk in us. He's really desiring, and it's been said so many times, it almost seems like it wouldn't need to be repeated again. But God's desire is for relationship. And His desire not only is for relationship with us, but that we might experience relationship with Him. Relationship. This passage speaks about it. It says He wants to be our God. And He wants us to be His people. This Bible tells us in this passage that there are things that will hinder us from experiencing relationship with God. One of those things is the expression, the expression is given here uh, about touching uncleanness. Touch not, the Bible says, the unclean thing. Don't touch uncleanness. Now, plain speaking would indicate that I would tell you that there are things that are available to you to touch that you just have got to learn to refrain from touching with your fingers, with your eyes, with your minds. You've got to refrain. We've got to refrain, all of us, from touching those things. Thoughts that just drag you down, whatever they are, just refrain from touching them. The call of this passage is, touch not the unclean thing. And if we touch not the unclean thing, the Bible says not only is the God who is holy, not only is He going to be our God, and we're going to be His people, but the Bible says that more than that, He's going to be a Father God to us. I will be your Father, He said, and you shall be My sons and daughters saith the Lord God Almighty. This is the God that we serve. This is His appeal to us. To be holy, for He is holy. To be holy, for He is holy. Just uh, briefly summarize this message this morning. And because God is holy... And because God is infinite. And because we're just trembling clay pots. We can never do justice to the attribute of the holiness of God. But my dear young people this morning. Just think about the appearance of His holiness as it's portrayed to us in Scripture. And just think about how the Bible says concerning the attribute of His holiness. It just simply says, for God is holy. For God is holy. For God is holy. And it speaks to us about many things. Certainly it speaks to us about His eternity. It speaks to us about His majesty. God is holy. The attribute of holiness. And of course, the real impact is whether or not we're going to respond to the appeal of God's Word to be holy individuals. To be holy individuals. Now the Bible says that God's desire is that we might be partakers. Partakers of His divine nature. To be a partaker of His divine nature means that we go to Him And we taste and we feast upon Him. That's what a partaker does. 
It just feasts upon Him, being a partaker of His divine nature. His divine nature speaks to us about the fact that God is holy. God is holy. His divine power hath given unto us, the Apostle Peter says, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. And then he goes on and he tells us that we're to add to faith virtue and to virtue patience and and temperance and knowledge and, and holiness, godliness. We're to add all these things. That's what the desire of God is. His desire is that we would be partakers of His divine nature. One final verse I'd like to leave with us this morning as we think about God is holy. And that's that first verse of chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. The Bible says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, there's filthiness that comes to us in a variety of ways. Paul says, there's filthiness of the flesh. There's also filthiness of the spirit. And so think about our spirits. Think about the spirit realm of activity. And think about what kind of impacts are being made in our lives. And the Bible says that God's desire is that He might within us perfect holiness in the fear of God. God bless us.